0: This is a podcast from Destiny Church Edinburgh. Uh,
1: Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the greatest preachers in the United Kingdom, possibly for the last hundred years. He ministered just alongside Buckingham Palace, a place called Westminster Chapel, and he produced about 40 books. I spent a long time just going through his stuff. And I've listed a number, maybe a 1,000 quotations from him, which are worth having a look at. And I brought the books with me, not to sell. I'm quite happy to give them away. Uh, they are good. I can say that because I didn't write it. I've exploited somebody else's ideas. I do that all my life, actually. Uh, but what you can do is, if you want to make a donation, then that can go towards your work on the streets. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of his quotes was, On the day of judgment, our greatest concern will be that we were not concerned enough. Our greatest charge will be that we were not concerned enough. Go to the best book, the Bible. And let's go to the 20th, no, let's go to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And we're dipping into the 23rd verse, the 25th verse, where our Lord is given a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then drop down to verse 29 the questioner asks who is my neighbor and Jesus the master storyteller says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers they stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away leaving him half dead He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. One of the greatest words in the New Testament, indeed one of the greatest words in the Bible, is the word compassion. Compassion. Compassion has as its root meeting have a meaning having a tear in the eye. A tear in the eye. Time after time after time in the Old Testament you read that the God and Father of Jesus Christ has compassion. When Moses in the thirty second chapter of the book of Exodus says to the Lord, Show me your glory, we're told that Moses hid himself behind a rock. The glory of God passed by, and the divine voice said, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord of compassion. When Isaiah was writing his prophecy, he said in the fourth and fifth verses of the first chapter that Israel is less faithful than a dog or than an oxen more than any other animal. The oxen knows his owner, but you have forgotten. And time and time again in the authorized version of the Old Testament, you find that God is depicted as a person. We call that an anthropomorphism. He acts as a person. It's a metaphor. And he gets up early to seek people out. Seven times I get up early in order to show Compassion. If you go to the 11th chapter of the book of Hosea, you get an interest, an insight into the heart of God. And he talks about Israel as his people who've left him. And he says, how shall I give you up, Israel? For I am a compassionate God. And when Jesus comes on earth, he sees people in need he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he says, I have compassion on them. Listen to or look at what I think is the best definition of compassion I've ever come across. It'll roll across the screen, and it comes from one of the lectures at the college where I was privileged to be the the principal. Compassion is the quest to be human, as God intended. It is not a means to an end, we are not compassionate in order to make converts. The purpose and motive behind compassion is to be like God. As God is, so you and I are to be. A man is set upon by thieves on a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. But it also goes from Moscow to Peking. It also goes from Rio de Janeiro to Edinburgh. It's the road of life. And wherever there are people, there is need. And wherever there is church, it gets its credibility by endeavouring to distance itself from from the popular philosophy and to embrace the teaching of Jesus Christ. Par excellence, the good Samaritan. What you have belongs to me, my first strapline, and I will take it. The guy has been progressing down this road, and the robbers in bandit country, for either side of the road, there are hills and caves, and he's been exploited. What you have is mine, and I'll take it. That is the philosophy of the sex traffickers. That is the philosophy of those who compel people even in the 21st century to live in a in a state of slavery. What you have is mine and I'll take it. A couple of years ago In Mumbai, Pakistan freedom fighters or terrorists, whatever term you like to describe them, they took over the hotel. The tourists became, in effect, hostages. And the government sent in their crack troops from the Indian army. Some of their divisions are brilliant in the area of military prowess. And they shot the Pakistan terrorists and they freed the tourists. Later on in the Taj Mahal Hotel in Bombay, one of the most famous hotels in the whole of Asia, we had some meetings. We were given the use of the hotel, and we showed pictures of girls and boys exploited on the streets. One of my colleagues, a sort of David Wilkerson figure, who founded Teen Challenge at the meeting of politicians and some newspaper and media people, said, when this Hotel was under siege. We sent in the best soldiers. And we freed those who were forcefully imprisoned, so to speak. He said, just three miles up the road, less than that, is the red light area of Mumbai. If the government can send in its crack troops to free tourists who've become hostages, how much more should we be concerned to free girls in cages moved around from one place to another? The international budget or income for sex trafficking, not only in Asia, But God help us in Europe, including the United Kingdom, is not in billions, it is in trillions. So many people, so many young people who are in need. It's reckoned that something like one million are put into the sex trade in India and Pakistan and countries surrounding, every year. What is yours is mine, and I will take it. A little while ago, I was in central India, and I had on my right hand a beautiful young lady, and also on my left hand. We were holding what is known as a freedom rally We'd paid off the pimps, and these ladies gave testimony to the grace of God and how they had been delivered from the life in which they found themselves. At the point of laying hands on them and committing them to the Lord, one of my colleagues brought into the platform area a cage, and in the cage were two birds white doves, he opened the cage and down the aisle, out into the blue, blue sky of the Indian country, those birds flew. An illustration of what happened to two ladies who had been exploited and suddenly found freedom in Christ health, and dignity. We are against that philosophy that exploits, whether it's little children forced into carpet weaving in Pakistan with their little fingers going in and out of the loom, whether it's kids who are losing their fingers in the firework industry in South India, whether it's children on the streets of Glasgow and Edinburgh who are in need, who are exploited, we recognize as Christian people our responsibility. And we speak against those who have this particular philosophy of exploitation. What is yours is mine, and I will take it. The man is left on the Jericho Road, on the road of life. Beaten and half dead. And then then two more people come along, you recall. And you can't suggest that they in any way are guilty of a crime. Certainly not physically. They move and see the guy who's in need. And then they do nothing. Perhaps they've got a business meeting in Jericho. Maybe it's a meeting of theological students. Maybe there's 101 reasons why they need to make progress. One American philosopher says, evil exists when good men do nothing. My grandfather could not be blamed in the same way as I can be blamed in the 21st century. He didn't have television. He didn't have a mobile phone. The city of Sheffield in which I was brought up was his world. But when I sit down and have my meal, when I've got the television on, I see the pictures. I see the problems caused by the plague in Africa spreading to different parts of the world, I see the little boy who's lost his mom and his dad, and he himself is contaminated, and as a result, there's no one who can put their arms around him and cuddle him. I can't, as a Christian, pass by. I have to be involved. When Jesus was on earth, as I mentioned to you, he saw sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks? You can hear the sob in the voice of Jesus. When you watch him on earth in his ministry, you discover that not only did he never exploit, but he never passed by. He recognized his responsibility. And I think you need to be congratulated for a concern in this area of scotland to move out amongst those who are exploited there is in glasgow an organisation called the preshel trust it works in paisley and govern amongst the most underprivileged marginalised people it's gained its own credibility in the college i was favoured to lead we used to have a bus We called it the Buddies bus. We went into Socky Hall Street every weekend. We were there not to exploit. We were there because there were inebriated students and young people. Some of the ladies hardly properly dressed. In the cold weeks of the winter, hypothermia was a problem. Security was a problem. Our concern was to be buddies. Our concern was to demonstrate that we were not just theological students in a sort of monastery, but we were moving into the highways and byways, into the, into the rough areas of Glasgow. And to the degree that you're doing that, I congratulate you. What do we learn from the story, the parable, the parable of the prodigal, uh, the parable of the good Samaritan? What is yours and I will take belongs to me and I will take it. We dismiss that. What is mine belongs to me and I will keep it. We dismiss that. But when you proceed on into the story, the Samaritan comes down, does he not? And he gets off his donkey, he ministers to the one who's in need, he puts in oil, he gives him first aid. He puts him on his donkey. He leads the donkey to the inn. And there he interacts with the innkeeper. What is mine? Is mine on trust? And I will share it. The philosophy of the Bible speaking about materialism and wealth is this. That every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We are responsible. If I have an intellect above the average, that is not because of my particular discipline. I had more gifts, more talents in that area given to me than others. When I train, when I use what I've got in the service of the Lord, then I am copying the example of the Samaritan. What I have is mine on trust If I have the ability to make finance, if I am wealth creation, creating, if I am able to launch companies, what I am is as a result of God's grace, and I am in debt to use that for the benefit of of others. I once remember a businessman coming to me down in the south of England. And he said to me, I'd rather do your job than mine. And I said, why? He said, well, your job is to go around speaking and telling people of the Lord. He said, my job is I manage a building firm. I said to him, don't you understand that as far as Christians are concerned, everything that we do, we're called to do as unto the Lord. John Calvin taught us that we're all priests. The only difference between a clergyman and a layman, according to the Reader's Digest, is this. A clergyman is paid to be good, whereas a layman is good for nothing. The fact of the matter is, I'm not just a dentist, I'm a Christian dentist. I'm not just a A master builder, I'm a Christian master builder. All that I am belongs to Him. For me to go on the Jericho road of life and just to improve my own circumstances, to live for myself is not what our Lord Jesus teaches. What I have is mine on trust and I must share it as we watch the good samaritan go down this road we recognize that we are getting an illustration of our lord and how he lived his life some years ago i was traveling in mid africa in the congo and i'd been in a little mission station and there was a wonderful black pastor his son his skin shone Almost like polished coal. His name was Pastor Noah. He had an upright orange box for his desk and two or three paper volumes were his library. And yet the nurse who lived with him in the same compound, she said to me, when he preaches, he's got a gem in every sentence. As my little plane took off, I noticed that his feet were inadequately shod with broken sandals. My my wife had actually bought me a very expensive pair for the jungle. And as I flew away, I spotted his need, and I took my sandals off, and I chucked them out of the aircraft. And eventually, I gathered, he'd picked them up. And the nurse, when I visited years later, told me, Pastor Noah walked in your shoes for the rest of his life until he died. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who walks in the shoes of Jesus. The Samaritan goes to the innkeeper. He turns to the guy who's on his donkey and he says to the innkeeper, take care of him. Take care of him. And the words become a sort of command, the heartfelt expression of the wish of our Lord Jesus to the church. He points to the world and he says, take care of them. The kids on the streets the drug addicts, the alcoholics, those who have kicked over the traces in their lives and have no illustration of any personal disciplines whatsoever. Take care. Move into their territory. Move in my name. Have you ever noticed that the parables which Jesus taught are virtually all anonymous? You say, what do you mean? Well, a saw went forth to sow. We don't know who the sower was. A farmer or a shepherd. He chases for one of his sheep who's gone astray. We don't know who the shepherd was. There's only one inn in the time of Jesus on the Jericho Road. And Jesus used to live in Galilee, and he would come to Jerusalem from time to time. He must have passed the inn. Maybe this is speculation on my part. Maybe he not only passed the inn, he went into the inn. Maybe he'd measured up the innkeeper. Maybe he realized that this was a guy in whom one could have confidence. And so he gives the innkeeper the task of standing in the Samaritan's Our Lord Jesus eschews. Take care. What he does, what he needs, meet his needs. In my name. I'll give you the finance. And if you spend more than you should, when I come back, I will reward you. Lloyd-Jones, who I quoted, said that on the day of judgment, our greatest charge will be that we were so unconcerned. What is compassion? Compassion is having a tear in the eye and ministering in the name of Jesus. And when we have tears in our eyes and when we engage in philanthropy, we're doing what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus who gave his life for our salvation. Jesus who comes as a sinner's friend, the compassionate Jesus. We are never closer to God. I'll not risk that overhead again. We're never closer to God. Never doing more than what He wants us to do than when we show compassion. We show compassion not because we want to impress people but because we want to be as God is an illustration of his love for humanity maybe you could just pick that little picture of the young girl who I took in India and she shows something from the United Nations as to what being compassionate is really all about Hundred years from now it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but that the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child, in the life of a street person, in the life of a drug addict. When I'm gone, all that will remain of me is the influence and the example for good or for bad, of my life. One more thing. In the days of Jesus, there was a definition of a disciple. Jesus was not the only person who had disciples. A disciple would follow the master, and the teacher would often teach in the open air, not in a contained environment like this. And as the teacher walked, the disciples would follow. And because the sun was warm, there's a lot of dust on the ground. And as you walk, each footstep disturbs the dust. And the dust rises. And it impregnates the clothing of the disciples. And that gave birth to another very important concept. a disciple is someone who walks in the dust of the rabbi. I want to walk in the dust of Jesus until my traveling days are through. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that you give us in life to live for you and for your honor and for your glory. We bring to you a world where there's so much exploitation. And we ask, blessed God, that you will help the church to be the church. We pray, Father, for those who are desperately in need. We pray for the situation in Syria. We pray for the situation in Iraq. We pray against that plague which is creating so much havoc for so many people. We pray for Christians and others of goodwill who are involved at the cutting edge of need and poverty. I pray for this lovely church community here. Take us. Help us to avoid the extremes. Help us never to exploit. Help us never to be selfish. Help us to enjoy the privilege of giving. The privilege of shedding tears the privilege of walking in the dust of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Do remember these books. Voluntary contribution if you want to make one or just take my book free of charge. and God bless you. Let's
0: just take a moment in God's presence just to respond. Uh, to some of Tony's words. Tony, we really appreciate you being here this morning. It's important, you know, when we come to church that we don't leave the same way that we came in. God doesn't want to just download information to us. He wants to transform our hearts and our lives. That's what Jesus does. He's in the business of changing people's lives. He's changed my life, and I know he's changed many people's lives here in this room. But maybe today, maybe you're here today and you've not allowed, maybe you've not made that decision to allow God to change your heart and to change your life. And I want to tell you this morning, you're in the right place. And just for a moment as we close in prayer, I just want to give anyone here today an opportunity that hasn't made a decision to walk in the dust of Jesus, to put their trust in him, to recognize that Jesus didn't just come to do great things, to do amazing miracles, to teach amazing stuff, but ultimately he came as a servant to give his life and to give his life for you. And so for this morning, if if you're here today and maybe you've been to church before, maybe you've even heard some of these things, maybe you've heard that story about the Good Samaritan, but you've never taken a moment to trust Jesus for your salvation. The end of your life, the most important thing is what you did with Jesus. I just want to give anyone an opportunity this morning to respond to that. So if that's you in your heart, you're saying, do you know what? I want to make a decision this morning to follow him. Then just under your breath, doesn't need to be out loud, just pray this prayer. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you that you came to this earth. You died on a cross for my sin, for my brokenness. God, I believe you rose on the third day. And today, I want to put my trust in you. I want to, as best as I can, make you number one in my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer this morning. Amen. I hope this message has helped you. If you'd like to find out more about our church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback or make a contribution, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work he is doing in your life.